So the transition program that everybody goes through is awful. Uh, but there may be people that hear this that know there are individuals out there that are able to help. Use LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the Bible. LinkedIn offers that free year of premium service for a service member that's leaving. Use, yeah, that's solid. So you can like Google it, like, you know, veteran face or veteran LinkedIn premium membership, whatever, you know, just Google it, find it, sign up and you're good to go. That's important to start networking there. Welcome to How I Embraced the Suck, a podcast where you get to hear from veterans what life in the military is really like. I am your host, Walt. And before we start, you should know that I do not censor the show in any way. You have been warned. Yeah, my, my, my knowledge is kind of spotty. Growing up, I, I read a lot, um, but it was usually from um, like a 1980 book from the library, Bill Gunston or, or something like that. So I'm, I, I, for a while, I thought the Harrier was a brand new airplane um, <laughs> yeah. when, when it was already, you know, 20 years in service or something. So. You, would, you would be surprised. So. For example, uh, when I when I got out of the Marine Corps and I went into industry to support, I still enjoy supporting DOD, right? So departing uh, your service doesn't necessarily mean your service is over. And, mm. and you don't, a lot of people have some sort of idea that, well, you know, I almost joined, but I, you know, I didn't have a chance to serve or do whatever. Like people like re- don't realize that like you don't need to wear a uniform to serve, right? You can serve your mm. community. You can be a leader in some way. You can lead your cul-de-sac, right? Neighborhood watch, be in the church, whatever you got to sure. do. You there are other ways to serve your your people, your country, right? Then you don't have to throw a uniform on and go do what you believe is physically taxing type of activities. Um, sure. So leaving the military too, leaving the service doesn't mean your service ends because again, you can serve any time throughout your life. And I enjoyed supporting those that, that continue to support. If you wear a uniform, cool, whatever. Uh, but the, the mission's still important. National defense is still important. There's still a lot of bad people out there that don't, don't like us because of who we are, what we do, things like that. And, mm. So going into industry and helping in information technology in the IT realm, there's still a lot of opportunities to help DOD. And I found that, that we had some weaknesses there when I was in, uh, and everybody gets aggravated in some of the things that they do when it comes to that. Right. <laughs> it could be as simple as a travel claim, submitting for leave, how you get paid, like all the things that we do that are technology-based. Thank God right. we have it. It's not like getting a paper check and mailing stuff. Like that's painful. We've We've become a society of convenience in a lot of places and there's only more to go, but like technology could still help DOD. And so that means you can still help DOD when you leave. And I did in the, in, in IT and I ended up working on, and to my point, I ended up working on 
uh, like the F-22 program, right? Lockheed mm, Martin. Okay. So, you know, a lot of it's based down in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, right across from where one of our sister squadrons is up at the, the Air Reserve Base, the Joint Reserve Base. And the F-22, I mean, phenomenal fighter, right? You talk about all the right. fighters and stuff. When do you think that airplane was really created? When was it? When did it come oh. to life? Conceptually or, or fly, you mean? Both. Oh, yeah. It was, it was quite a, a quite a development oh, yeah. time for sure. Yeah. yeah. The, the code... The P-51 base, was, what, 150 days or something? Well, or something. I mean... The, and the, the F-22 about, was years. The, the, the idea of the Harrier, you thought like back in the 80s, like, you know what I mean? Like, when right. did it really come alive? When did it get put to use? And that was the A model. Well, the F-22, there's only the F-22. And a lot of that stuff was, man, that was in the 80s too. That was using a code base that I don't think anybody can even write anymore. And it's called ADA. Like you have Python and Java and, you know, all these other code languages. And this thing was built with ADA and it's like only written in books. So it's amazing to see like ingenuity and what we as, you know, Americans and a lot of smart people have built these really awesome airplanes. But that was like, in the heyday, right? Hmm. Space shuttles and other cool stuff. It was all the eighties, man. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, usually, uh, yeah, well, I should probably introduce you. We have a dusty and usually I, um, I like to start the show, uh, low on the interest scale and ramp it up (laughs) as we go. But today we're going to do it. We're going to do it backwards. All uh, downhill from here. It's all downhill. <laughs> Dusty used to uh, not only be a JTAC, but also fly Fat Albert yep. for the Blue Angels. So that's that's the high, if if that is the high point of the show, that's high enough. <laughs> <laughs> but but we may go yet higher. <laughs> we'll see. No we'll promises. See, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, um, I'm curious about about the Fat Albert. Did you um? Did you do the demonstration flights also? Like is the one pilot does everything or do you share the responsibility? We swap. So there's, there's three pilots okay. typically. So our whole air crew, we're all casing with 30 members from the Marine Corps community uh, that, that okay. you know, apply to the team. And usually there's like a one in one out type of thing. There are circumstances where either some people get hurt or they can't stay on the team and they may leave early. And then you might have to like bring like two new pilots on at a time and train them up, but they're sure tip, the typical what's standard is you try to have three, three on the team. And it's usually, you know, you're there for three years. You'll go, you're in, you stay three years, you're out. And then there's mm-hmm. always one in after that, unless, and sometimes there were some nuance to that. Like, like, uh, in our case, in my case, I, I was there for two, it was like two and a half years because we had two depart earlier to me, but, it's all kind of semantics, but you want three, you want, mm-hmm. three, you want three pilots there. Um, you want uh, enough crew that you don't burn people out, right? Cause you're on the road over sure. 300 days a year, but you work as a team uh, to maintain the airplane and to fly the demonstrations and to do the primary mission, which is logistics, like moving the team from point A to point B and mm-hmm. in the event something happens to one of the Hornets and you need a new engine, for example, you go get the engine and bring it back so they could swap it out. Um, right. And the, the show goes on. Uh, so that's typically 
what happens, like one pilot will do the demonstration flying in the left seat primarily. And then the co-pilot in the right seat will be doing all the radio calls and kind of like sanity check backing up through the demonstration for safety. Mm, okay. And then we'll swap them up. Like if it was a Texas show, uh, you know, I'd call them my hometown show. And then I would fly in the left seat, but then I could do another show in like California and I don't know anybody there. It's not like family or anybody else. I'd fly in the right seat or I wouldn't fly at all. And I do some other kind of ground, ground job, like stay in the tower to help out with deconfliction or whatever. So that's typically how it works. There's a primary flyer that does the demonstration, but we we're all three of us are capable of doing it. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That, yeah, that makes sense. Have the local relatively local guy fly it. Yeah. Get his name on the speaker and everything. True, true. <laughs> um, what was so yeah, what was what was the order you said you did KC one thirty, obviously that was before Fat Albert, and then you did JTAC also. What was the order of that and kind of the the uh the process or, or yeah. the flow rather, I guess, you know? Like yeah, what so took you from one to the other? I wouldn't say it's it's not necessarily typical either, but mm-hmm. there's there doesn't need to be anything typical uh with the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps is it's a it's a unique organization that's very different than the Navy, very different than the Air Force, for example, uh, because the Marine Corps is smaller. They tend to need to do more with less. So while sure. you're going, you, everybody goes through training, right? You're going to get your primary MOS, your military occupational specialty, and then you're off to the fleet for the most part. And then you really learn how to do your job, right? Some OJT type of stuff. So go through, get your wings, you end up at your first squadron. You'll learn how to fly the aircraft effectively and tactically and then advance through the, the stages of, of that. Hmm. Uh, but you'll also have a ground job. So it could be in you know administrative, intelligence, operations, maintenance. Like you need to actually do real work. So you in the Marine Corps, you're really evaluated uh, through our fitness report system. You're evaluated mostly on your ground job, your ability to lead Marines and, and do work. Mm, your, okay. flying, your flying ability, that's kind of like your, I mean, it, par, it has partial, partial career kind of implications. If you're a good stick and you're really good at some things, you may go do some advanced training, which getting additional qualifications will then bring you back into the cockpit, which then may bring you back into a department head tour. It may do mm. some things for you. Sure. But most of it, your evaluations are on paper that are, you know, that go to the promotion boards and things like that are based on your ability to lead Marines on the ground, right, in your job. Hmm. Interesting. But, okay. But now you're, you're, how do you become a JTAC? How do you go do something else? Well, the, right. And that's, that's the beauty of the Marine Corps is they will let you diversify your kind of passion, your career path. So I knew, like, when I got in, there were defining moments in your life. Like I knew I wanted to be a pilot. I knew I wanted to join the military. And then 9-11 happened. I was in college at Texas A&M. And I knew it's it solidified it, right? Like I want to mm. go in. I want to go do something about this. Sure. So flying, and especially flying the KC-130, because most of your missions are very much separated from the main effort of whatever battle may be occurring on the ground, right? So mm. you're, not, you're not directly affecting the nation's diplomacy or the main effort, the Marine rifle squad on the ground, you're not, you're not directly helping them or doing that mission. You're like two or three levels back because you're maybe giving gas 
to the fighters that are actually supporting those Marines on the ground. So I knew around there that I want to be able to influence that and help those Marines. Like I said, the main effort. Uh, and that's when I had the opportunity and it's, it was a, a short, it was a very quick, no notice type of thing where I had a set of orders that I was going to go to a new duty station. I landed in Hawaii on a mission and I was picking somebody up and I got an email from our monitor, which is the guy that gives us our, our orders and kind of helps mm-hmm. us with career progression. And he said that he had what they called a hot fill open. And it was like something had occurred where somebody fell out and now they have an opening for a JTAG. Would I like to do it? And I told him that I wanted that opportunity. And so that set in motion you know, a good chunk of my career after that. And this was 2000, I think it's 2008. So I'd already had, you know, my plans of PCSing had just changed where I stopped in California at Coronado to do some training to be a JTAC. And then I showed Mm. up to my first unit on the East Coast, which was uh, 1st Battalion, 2nd Marines. I was there for four business days. It was like Thursday I checked in, Friday I was there, and the EXO walked in in the morning and told me, hey, there's another battalion that's already in theater and they're short of JTAC. So I'll let you know by noon if you're going to deploy or not. And this was on a Friday, right? And so wow. it was like two hours later, he's like, hey, man, just go start, get all your gear, get all your, you know, check out essentially of what you just did. Just turn around and undo all of that. And then uh, we're going to get you over to the to second battalion, second Marines and get you, get you out there to deploy. So I just got out of school. I'd gotten there, checked in, grabbed a bunch of extra gear. And then I went, went to Afghanistan after that as a JTAG. So, so you went from feeling like your job while important, wasn't really directly contributing to BAM in theater. Yeah. Just, just yes, you shall receive. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Huh. That it now is JTAG, uh, an officer position or can it be enlisted? I, what's, what's the hierarchy of responsibilities? So in that, in... it can be both. And, okay. and it, so the joint terminal attack controller role itself is usually reserved for um, officers and uh, like senior, like staff NCOs that, that are pretty proficient in their skill set already. Mm-hmm. They have the the situation awareness and the knowledge, like they can actually learn the skill set and use it effectively. It's a hard skill set to learn. We went through the school, the training, mm-hmm. and the attrition rate there was fifty five percent. So we hmm. we attrited fifty percent of our class that they did not pass. So that's a problem. Uh, you know, you, you got staffing. You have a requirement that's in in you know a theater of war. And now you can't staff it because your school is so tough that it's cutting half your guys. So sure. you, need to, you need to have some very smart staff NCOs. And actually, I think you could be a sergeant too, if I'm not mistaken. But it's been a it's been a while. Okay. But it's a it's a great the ability to train these Marines and and airmen too. They do that and and you know soldiers. Uh, great school, great capability. I think it's a requirement. It's a necessity. Like it. It is definitely a force multiplier when you learn to do things by a standard to call in close air support because it's dangerous, man. Like what's, mm-hmm. the, what's the number one problem you have with calling in close air support? It's killing yourself. 
right? Because it's yeah, tough. Yeah. I've been on both ends. I've been on the, the receiving end of the ordinance and I've been on the sending end of the ordinance later in my career. So knowing the difference of like that, where's the good guy, where's the bad guy? Yeah. Shooting the right one is a thing. And typically like rewind. So that's the officer and the enlisted. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a JTAC term. Unofficially back in Vietnam, they would have aviators on the ground and they would call them forward air controllers. So fast. Okay. That's where the fat sure. term comes from because typically only pilots did it. Uh, and you know, who better to talk to a pilot than another pilot. So it just kind of made it easier for correlation because they've been in the seat. They know what right. it looks like from the air. Right. Huh? So, so JTAC, is that all that's in the field, correct? I mean, yeah. that's the official term. Yeah. That's like no kidding. MOS, like it is listed as joint terminal attack controller and it, it goes across different services, hence the joint term. So the air force has mm. JTAC's. Army, I don't know if the Army has them proper because I think that's why the Air Force has the like these liaison officers that'll come over. But I, I mean, I would sure. imagine they should, but I didn't get a chance to really work with them. But I mean, um, the the position involves being in the field, yeah. with the troops and calling in yeah. directly. Okay, for the most part. Okay, yeah, I mean, it's all it's, it really depends. Like, if you mean by a strict definition of can you be straight leg infantry walking you know, with the Marines on the ground. Yeah. Should you be? Well, it depends. It all, it's all mission dependent. Would it be better for you to be there calling in close air support? Would it be better for you to be in some sort of a COC, a command environment where you have a lot of like situational awareness from like ISR, like predators on station, you can see their feed. Mm -hmm. It, It all depends. But typically the Marine Corps employs them in a field like environment more often than not. Mm-hmm. But there's only there's usually there's only like one of you per company or two of you per company, and oh okay, so you're not like there ain't ten, you know. <laughs> so it's not like every squad doesn't have its own. Yeah, no, no, it's <laughs> okay. it's like um, I had I had uh, he one of good great staff sergeant lunchbox. He he was actually pretty much forward the whole time, so he was the one like running around on the ground. I would occasionally get out every once in a while if I wasn't doing like. PowerPoint and planning and like looking through ISR feeds and doing that. Sure. But it was, it was fun to get out every once in a while. Yeah. So, so with, if you were that uh, restricted, is that how you operated like that lunchbox you mentioned? Did you rely on him to communicate field, actual field data well, and, and combine it with what else you had? Yeah. I guess now it all really depends. Like the Marines are really good about the whole improvise adapt and overcome type thing so right Cesar taylor the the position that he was in like i knew since he was in his position that i needed to help him get more things if that's more aircraft support or like all the things that i could take off of his shoulders so that he could work an aircraft and do his job right mm. then mm-hmm. i would do that I don't need him to fill out requests to do this, that, or the other. If I can help him do that, then we would kind of flow it down. Sure. Because I had more radios where I was, and he was more focused on the tactical aspect of it in this certain circumstance. Hmm. And then sometimes it would switch. Sometimes he would come up to where I was, and then I would get like in a helicopter and then go to these little villages, and we would do, you know, multi-day operations, and it would be him pushing aircraft to me. So 
That's mm. how we typically work. Not saying it's standard at all, though. It's whatever at that point works, then it works. Sure, yeah. sure. Huh. And so, so you um, you would be calling on multiple services, correct? Not just the Marines? As far as like aircraft. As, as far as aircraft? Yeah. In, yeah. Okay. And, and coalition. I mean, the... Mm. We had the Dutch, the Dutch, uh, the Emirates, I think, sent out F-16s at 1.2. So it, it mm. was a very diverse set of aircraft that were out there. But the preponderance of it would be Marine Rotary Wing, Marine Harriers, and the call mm-hmm. sign was Hoot at the time. And if it was anything other than that, then it was a mix of uh, Navy F-18s, and a lot of different Air Force, like F-16s, A-10s, uh, and, and the like. So it, mm. it definitely, once you got past the Marine Corps Rotary and Harriers, then it just kind of opened up and it was like, it depended on what was going on too. So sure. if you troops in contact, you get everything. So I just got stuff poured on me at that point, which is cool. So when you're when you're dealing with a maybe a different branch or even, like you were saying, a coalition, was the... Um, was the communication delayed a little bit because of, um, uh, <clears throat> well, there we go. Well, there's, um, no, there's no, no delay. Like as far as like, I'm talking to them. Sure. Not, not in terms of, um, like a, like a communication oh. delay, more of uh, authorization delay, for example. No, or you're authorized. Talk to them. Boom. You're yeah. in their cockpit. Yeah. yeah. So and okay. that's all standardized. Okay. So like the terminology, like do the, the JTAC syllabus. Right. The air airframes want to train to that standard too, so we would work together, right? So, gotcha. okay, anything that I say, specific words have very specific meaning, so that everybody across every service and the coalition understand those specific words. Like hmm. when you say "cleared hot," that means cleared hot. You're re- you're right. authorized to release ordinance, um, and and rifle means something. It's all all standardized terminology, and everybody trains to that standard. Okay. Now, there is a problem with accents, and especially, <laughs> I mean, I had a hell of a time trying to understand this. Um, I think she's a female Dutch pilot. Wow, mm. it was it was a thing, man. Like, <laughs> anything I had to like stop everything I was doing just to like listen in, and it and it was in a very bad bad situation like a lot was going on and to be able to to like try to tune everything out so you could hear through her accent right. what she's trying to tell you it's uh that was the comedic one i mean things get so bad you're just like you know how how could things get worse and then right you, you get her on the radio and jesus it was and that's not her fault at all like that's that's sure. our, yeah, yeah. our fault right yeah. Our ability to understand. I mean, hell, she probably didn't know what I was saying coming from Texas. You know what I mean? Right, it's right. A team game. <laughs> and and the very specificity of the terms makes it even more critical if you misunderstand I would, it. Hey, man, I would be good with the terms, but this is the part of like now normal human interaction. And right. To talk very plain language of what's going on. But the plain language barrier that we had was, was a thing in itself. Because... <laughs> The, the art, so that's like, that's the science piece. You have to do these things in order to get this result, right? That's most, mm-hmm. you know, science of ordinance and, and everything that we do. And the middle part is the correlation. 
I see this. I'm trying to talk to you. Do you see this too? Yes, it matches. Okay, that's your target. That is the art. That's the mm. hard piece right there. Right, right. And that's the part where I didn't understand a damn thing she was saying. <laughs> so Yeah. <laughs> did, was, was it different? Um, did you have to adjust your, uh, not your expectations, but just like your, um, I guess, kind of expectations when you were dealing with, say, a helicopter versus an F-16? Yeah. Just because yeah. of their capabilities. Capabilities and just space and time, right? Mm-hmm. Fixed wing moves faster. Fixed wing's higher, though. Fixed wing mm-hmm. capability with a, a targeting pod is a little different than a helo, but um, people act different also with with a helo versus they do a fixed wing aircraft. And I mean mm. specifically the enemy, especially there, the Taliban. Sure. The Taliban knows, hey, man, when a, a Cobra, a Huey, a mixed section's showing up, Hey man, I'm not playing. I'm not playing. So right. we would typically, <clears throat> I would typically hide them. Like I would make sure that they were low enough, far enough away to mask the sound. Sure. I'm not trying to deter anything. I'm trying to kill you. I mean, right. Don't don't get me wrong. You're you're actively trying to hurt me, and you're setting up an ambush and all this stuff. I, it's a chess game. So right. I'm about to knock you out. Right. For fixed wing, they don't respect them. Which is fine, you know. Gives me another opportunity to see them. If you don't respect them, they're just going to keep doing what they're going to do. Mm. They're so high, and their their time to employ takes a little longer too. They need to set up on a certain profile in order to get the aircraft at the right speed, right altitude to set the or like to release the ordnance at the right time. Sure. To to make it effective, uh, but it's different, man. With a helicopter, it's a gun. I'm going to point mm-hmm. it and shoot it. Or it's a Hellfire missile, which is really quick, too. So, Right. It's right. And, and probably a, has a higher aspect launch capability, I would think. The Well, the, the as, fixed as, wing does. Yeah. It's yeah. like, yeah, 90 degrees straight down type of thing. Yeah. Like that. If you had to rank them, and I'm not, you know, I've never interrogate. Well, I didn't interrogate the Taliban and ask a question of, what do you fear most? Yeah. Right. But I would imagine based on the actions that I saw, it was always helicopters, like attack helicopters, and they called them gunships, mm-hmm. uh, predators, which they could very rarely see, or like any kind of armed ISR, mm-hmm. and then fixed wing aircraft in that order. Sure. Hmm. Yeah, you speaking of planes, a lot of people don't realize that even a laser guided bomb, you can't just drop and then it magically hits the target. And again, you yeah. have to be in a like you're saying a specific profile. Well, we do have GPS, but there's there's mm. like there's the the happy medium, right? So you could be above the clouds and nobody'll ever see you. And mm. you can actually program in a a predetermined set of coordinates to a certain degree of accuracy and you could just mm. drop it through the clouds. You'll never need to see it, but you could drop it and, you know, bada bing, right? The JDAM works. Doesn't right. work for moving targets because a coordinate's a coordinate, right? But mm-hmm. laser guided munitions are, I think, preferable to all the target sets that we had out there just because they were moving. Mm-hmm. They needed to be fast and not more often than not need to be a hellfire that has that, that ability to, to move sure. as the laser moved. Yeah. Right. Hmm. 
That's a good question, though. What what was the what was kind of the difference between um, um, unit? Uh, I mean, if if you just join the unit in country, you don't it, not not the specific unit, but just like the tempo of operations or the attitude toward operations in country, as opposed to um, being Blue Angels, as opposed to being a a tanker pilot. Does that, does that make sense? Like, um, the rephrase, it's a question. So yeah, please. What's your attitude? Is that what you're saying? Like, well, or not just you, but like the, the unit attitude. Yeah. yeah. So it's definitely different and it always will be. And you, this is the hard part about human nature. Um, it's hard not to be complacent, right? For one, like you continue mm-hmm. to do things over and over again. Uh, it'll definitely wear on a human and taking, uh, a person and imagine this this podcast is only so long and so right keeping attention is very easy i'm gonna have you do this for six months mm. and it's like ah okay you know what i mean like some things are going to change maybe you get lazy doing their cutting corners i mean it's just human nature but combat's mm. different combat puts you in a weird spot so when you first get into into theater, I mean, it's like your adrenaline's running, you know, you're 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 ready, you know, mm-hmm. your heightened awareness. You get into zone and it's completely different. Like you're turned on. The switch is turned on and you're looking, you're ready to go. Like you're calm, but you're still ready. Mm-hmm. And the outgoing unit, right, is kind of like, woo, all right. You guys got it. I'm, you know, I did it. My time's up. Right. You know, like there's there's a bit of joy, you know, to to the departure and excitement, if you will. Hmm. So, and there's also some of that, like, yeah, 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 you don't need to do that. You know, the turnover is always unique. Where, right? You know, this is the way we do things. This is how you should do them type of attitude. And the other guys are like, I don't want to listen to anything you did. I want to do it my way. And this is being very, you know, just, I don't know what you want to call it. Like, uh, you know, it's overgeneralizing quite a bit. That's not how it really goes. Sure, sure. To, to emphasize that, like, they're, you're very much receptive to everything that they did, but you're also very receptive to everything going on around you and analyzing everything that is going on, what they've done, what you want to do. You're not starting over from scratch, but you kind of treat it as such and you take those lessons learned. Right. So Mm -hmm. I don't know, man, your attitude is you're turned on, you're ready to go. And, and to keep that energy is hard, right? Mm, Sure. It's definitely playing a, a, like, I can't say it's a football game because it's a lot of stop, start, like that, but soccer is probably the better analogy to war that people need to accept because it's mm-hmm. always on and it's, it's constant little movements and bursts of speed, but you're excited as the game starts and then you're in the moment, you're just in the flow, right? You're just doing right. your thing. Maybe you make some adjustments here and there, but it don't stop. It's always mm-hmm. going. Sometimes you have extra, extra minutes added on because of stoppages, right? You didn't expect that, but it's going to happen. It's right. very strategic huh. in nature. Uh, so the morale is its own thing. 
but like the operational switch and being turned on is, is something different to me. And so you're, it's, it's good to leave. And when you get there, it's, it's a weird thing, man. And I think a lot of Marines, when they leave the service, they know that, that feeling when you get in, when you get, when you get in the theater and they can feel like when they leave theater, they leave the Marine Corps like that, when you turn that switch on, like it's always still on, like the switch is not up all the way, but like in your life, something has changed for you now that like hmm. you're, it's always there. You're always kind of turned on that sure. might be good. Like you may be able to do that in your daily life where you can focus your energy on your schedule or, 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 you know, emails or whatever, but like, that's, it just, I think it does something to you. So that's, that makes sense. We just talked about this actually before, you and I hopped on a call just talking to a buddy of mine about some business stuff going on uh, at work. Mm-hmm. We happened to turn into this conversation of like uh, his son is graduating intelligence school in the air force and he's going to this duty station. And we had talked so much about your entire life. And his dad saw this too in the eighties. You train, you train, you train, you train, you train, right. And a mm-hmm. lot of people get to the point where they want to go use the training to actually do what they've been employed to do. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're always turned on. You're ready to go. You want to go do it. Right. And it's kind of hard to turn that piece off. Mm. So that's mm. a little extra. That's the bonus part of the question. <laughs> you, you mentioned um, in when you're deployed, it can get um, wearing to do the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Is, was that also the case? with the blue angels or was that um, or even if it was, was it minimized by the switching off of pilots? Like you were talking about where you're not constantly on all the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. The ability to like, but it's so the, the difference is though, you're also not in the same area. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Like it is routine. Sure. Routine can be bad. I think. And the, the difference is maybe you're going to a new show site. Maybe there's something new there that you've never, you know, I don't think I've ever been to Fargo, North Dakota, right? Mm. <laughs> okay. Right. Let's go to Fargo. Like, all right, cool. You know, I've never been there. Let me go look around. Um, in places like Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Eau Claire, Wisconsin was probably one of the fun, like best shows. And the people there uh, in Chippewa Falls and, the Lion Kugel Brewery and the people that run that, the old Marines there too. It's, that's not different. I mean, that's, that's routine change that you get mm. to go and experience new things. So that's not necessarily, uh, you know, you're not complacent. You don't have enough time to be complacent there. There's always something new to go do. Now the air show in like your frame of reference and everything you do, man, it's like, it could be mind numbing for sure. The flying part, great. Oh, like interacting with the the fans beforehand, getting in the room, kind of getting ready for what you're going to do for the day, like awesome. You know that's that's fun. Get ready to go do what you've been hired to do. Essentially, well, you go do it, and then you get back, and now it's like, uh, here comes the debrief. <laughs> the debriefs take so long that that's where it kind of <laughs> wears down at you. And you may be hungry and sure you just worked out for a hot minute. That's about what it is. But combat's different where it's the same area of operations. 
you're trying to do the same thing. That's yeah, it's it's different. Being on the road, I guess, and living out of a suitcase for those those days. Yeah. That, that can that can wear on you a little bit. And maybe I've repressed those memories already. It's been a hot minute. I got out of there I think at the end of twenty fifteen and Okay. You know, so <coughs> I, I live out of a suitcase now, but not to that, that extent. <laughs> right. <laughs> what, um, each, each, uh, venue for that, the, the flight, the, the demonstrations modified a little bit, correct. To kind of account for terrain or, or, um, not buildings or there may be some, yeah, there okay. may be some show lines that are modified a little bit because of those things. But the, the one thing that would modify a show, more so than that would be weather, like cloud decks. Okay, sure. Like a sure. High, low, or flat show. But for me, it didn't. It didn't matter. I could, okay. It's all free flowing. It's all art at that point. Okay. Yeah, I was. I was curious. Um, what? How much involvement you had in planning the the show because of your participation? But if I, it doesn't change much. Well, so some of it would, but it wasn't too much that, I mean, I'm one airplane. I'm not trying to fly around with, you know, five of my buddies on my wings. So right. flying right. formation is a thing, but flying a, a single, a single plane. Now nah, you can, you can do whatever you want to do. And it's, I mean, it's, it's you and the airplane and the crew. So it's not too hard to modify anything. Okay. We would typically go up first because we're, we're an all weather aircraft. Like we, we fly with two winged aviators with the proper equipment in here that if we ever right. get into a bad situation, we got all the tools we need to go wherever we need to go. So we would go up and do weather recce essentially to, mm-hmm. to pass back to boss, to let him know like, Hey, here's the cloud decks or whatever. Like here, here's what we see actual right now. So mm-hmm. they can make yeah. the most informed decision about, you know, taking the planes up if they needed to at all. Huh, interesting. What was, um, you mentioned the fan interaction. Mm-hmm. What was kind of, uh, were there any particular ones that stood out to you? Now, now some seven years later. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there were always the good ones where it was like family and friends that that I, I hadn't seen in forever. And they would show up on the crowd line and you get to like hug them and, and talk to right. them. Right. Some of the better ones, to be honest, were the ones with the parents. <laughs> hmm. So, or, or the ones that were very, very open to the crowd. Now, I think there was one, it was a night, a night event, a night commit hmm. in Virginia Beach. And they would typically launch an aircraft out of um, Oceana at night or like at dusk. So it's okay. Dark. Sure. And, and everybody would get on the beach and they'd watch the, the Hornet, you know, turn on the afterburner and just go back and forth on the beach. And everybody's like, right. ah, you know, and, and we would be there and we would intermingle with the crowd. Th- those are the more fun ones when it's not very regimented and like, right. Please, sir, back away from me, you know, 10 feet and all this sort of stuff, which COVID is its own thing. And I wasn't on the team during COVID. I can't imagine what the team has done now to change protocol oh, sure sure you know, this social aspect of it but the ability to interact with the kids that are there 
right? And the hope and the joy, right? Before adulthood crushes their dreams. <laughs> but their parents being there too, and the questions that they would have, and it's kind of like, uh, you know, talk to the kids like, hey, here's, you need to do well in school. You need to prepare for college. You need to do these things in order to be successful, right? Hmm. And equating that to like compound interest is what I always told them. Like you put a lot more effort in now and you continue mm. to do that. You make good grades every semester. You, you know, volunteer in the community every, every so often. All these things can add up. College sees that. Acceptance boards see that. And they want you to, you know, oh, you're good. You're a good person or whatever. Sure. You're able sure. to make it. And then, you know, talking to the parents and like, hey, don't worry. If, you're, if your son is shitty in college, he can still be a blue angel. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying right. that I was <clears throat> God's gift to academia because I definitely was not. But if you want to go out and volunteer and help people and, you know, you were, you were an A student in the social aspect of school compared to the book aspect of school, right. there's still hope for you yet. So don't, maybe your kid's an artist, you know, right, <laughs> right. an artist, but to tell them like, ease up, right. Don't, don't be the tiger mom or any of that stuff. Like let them be a kid. Let them focus on like help them where you can give them guide rails. And then, you know, like you need to do this to be successful, but let them have fun. That's what I did. And hopefully, hopefully some of them like, you know, maybe they come home with an F one day and they're like, yeah, you'll be all right. Don't be too hard on them. Right. Right. <laughs> take, take this and learn from it instead of agonizing over the past. Yeah. Hey, I think we were, <clears throat> I know in the Marine Corps, it's very much, it was in my time, a very zero defect mentality, right? Like you can't do these things. But mm. honestly, when I got into industry and, and especially in IT and, and tech, <clears throat> you want to fail fast. You want to fail quickly, get that out of the way. So you know what to correct on the other side of that. So mm. to hear our enablements of our DOD customers, like, you know, it's okay to fail. That's a lesson you need to learn. And like, let's get that out of the way now. Let's fail fast and fail often. And so we can build what works. And this is only in the frame of reference of like software and, you know, methodologies and stuff, but mm -hmm. man, that could be taught all the way back to, to kids, right? Like lose a game of football, you failed. Why? Well, you understand that maybe your strength doesn't lie here. Maybe this play doesn't work or whatever. You make changes. You adapt. Mm -hmm. But I think we got you know too focused when we grew up back in the 80s on the, the negative, right? You cannot fail. You will only win. You'll right. watch Rocky. You will only beat, yeah. You'll, like, that's, it's, that's it. But it's, it's not that way. Hmm. There's your insight. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I, that's, that is the beauty of, of this show is, uh, ostensibly it's talking to vets, but it goes really, uh, wherever, wherever each vet wants and whatever. So that, uh, the, hopefully the listener is always surprised pleasantly. Hopefully so. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think we take things way too serious and, and you found me on Twitter, right? Yeah. 
there's one damn place where everybody takes everything too serious. Twitter. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, correct. That freaking place is a, a damn cesspool. And we'll, we'll see if there will be a change up, you know, with new ownership. New, it's under new management mm. type of thing. Who knows? Right, right. Yeah, who knows? It, I, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think social media is probably the damn bane of our existence as society, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we would all like use it as a place to discuss and debate, make mm, memes, sure. do fun stuff, right? And not yeah, call it, it definitely allows people to connect across distance, but also yeah. it allows people to <laughs> say things um, without some of the repercussions that you'd experience in a face to face conversation. That's the beauty of Mike Tyson, oh. right? You know, <laughs> that man was on an airplane. <laughs> Right. I think he said it. It's like some of y'all don't realize, like, you're going to get punched in the face. And he he lives that, right? Right, so, right. Are you – so if you ever met Mike Tyson, would you antagonize him? No. Like you would, your little brother? <laughs> no. no. Not even if I'd had so many cocktails on an airplane, I would not do that. I respect that man because he could punch my soul out of my body. Right. Some people don't understand that. They don't know the old Mike Tyson when he's in the ring. And it ain't it ain't old Mike Tyson. I mean, I guess the previous years of Mike Tyson, he still probably hits as hard as that guy did, his junior self. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it could be used for a force for good, but right now, man, there's just some <laughs> there's some bad people out there. But whatever. Yeah, it's one good aspect. I'm sorry, you you brought it up. The space between people. So when I was on the team, that was the first time I set it up and I did it for that. I thought like social media is a way to go. And it is like, that's your ability to reach out to people Mm -hmm. depending on like the, the sentiment of collective Twitter, like negative, positive, neutral, the blue angels, that's a positive sentiment and the ability of people like fans reaching out to them. I mean, I didn't, I saw some haters on there every once in a while, but mostly it was kind of out of fun and jest where their animals were freaking out because the jets were flying over, right, in San Francisco. Right. So I got it. Their complaints, their noise complaints, but nobody really comes out and just straight, you know, talks trash. Like, I don't know what you would even say, but like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, well, well, you know, I don't think it's appropriate that you're, displaying war machines for kids to idolize or some something like that like all right cool that's an opinion i guess you know got it right right whatever military industrial complex let me have my six-year-old write a report about that right who cares they're here to have fun airplanes go fast kids watch planes kids watch cars right love the movies you know like ease up come get they go fast and they make a loud noise yeah dude that, I mean, what What else you want? Monster truck? That does the same thing. Everybody right. likes that shit too. So the ability to use social media to reach fans that weren't like co-located with you is a powerful tool. Sure. Spread sure. the message. I don't think we use it enough. I don't think we use it in the right way to its effectiveness, the way it can be used. But that's like a you know, difference of opinion that I have with like every public affairs officer <laughs> Very, very conservative in nature, you know, with the plan. And there's right. some, there's some that use it, I think, to the, to the skill that needs to be used. But 
you'd favor maybe the Wendy's approach over the bureaucracy. Yeah, there's some sick burns of Wendy's. Like, I'm not saying <laughs> we're, we're going to go full brand war, you know, right, like, right. Gyms and Wendy's going off on everybody, but yeah, there's there's a lot like it's very cookie cutter. There's no personality behind it. It's like a playbook that you run from you know the Department of Defense, which right. it has its own place, and the, the training that they give is very very good. But I just think it could be so much more effective. But then I guess does it become effective? Then it is it eventually information operations, and then it becomes not public affairs. So, right, right. It's uh, it's it's a very safe approach. Yeah, yeah. Which for a bureaucracy <laughs> style, um, when nobody uh, or <clears throat> when it can be dangerous to take responsibility, yeah. I guess I should. Yeah, say. I I just want so much, or not want wanted so much mm-hmm. more for them. I think the exposure that could have been given. Uh, across all like a lot of different DOD public affairs things, but I get what they're dealing with. And unfortunately there's some negative things too, that you have to deal with. Like in Hawaii, the, the fuel spill, right. That's getting into the water supply. That's actually, you know, it's making a lot of people sick, sending kids to the hospital, for example. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's tough. I mean, public affairs, you don't just get to deal with all the good stuff. So I, you know, I respect that. Sure. So I guess play it safe. I'm not in their shoes. I was at one point when it was, you know, putting on that tight suit, you know, watch your mouth, but be human, you know, hmm. be yourself. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that, that you weren't, um, well, uh, uh let me kind of tie two questions together. One, one question I always like to ask is if a kid was to ask you, uh, a teenager yeah. was to say, I'm interested in joining the military. Um, I like to, I like to ask, what would your advice be? to them or, or I should say they're planning to join the military and then, and then com- maybe yeah. some, some, an aspect of that would be, you mentioned you didn't do so hot in school, but yet you still were a pilot. What was that like? And, and maybe those two connect. So they don't. Okay. Let's keep it separate. That's no good, good questions. But like the first one. And, you know, I've thought about this and like I said, I talked about this with a buddy of mine that I work with. So what would they, what would I say if a teenager of, of, you know, military age. Right. In court. Yeah. 17, 18. Yeah. They're ready to do something with their life. And this is a decision. This is a fork in the road. Well, that's like something they got to do internally. Right. They need to go talk to their parents, like talk to them first. My parents were very much against me joining the military. They, they grew up, and this is a frame of reference that I don't have. This is very much 20, 21-year-old Dusty. I'm living in my own body, right? I see what I see with my own eyes. I think I know everything, right? I'm always right. Right. No big deal. Um, but, like, I, I wanted to go do something so much that it could probably blind you, right? It's an emotion that this is what I believe, and it's tough to dis disprove that because of mm-hmm. of who I am and how I've grown up. So they viewed getting an education from a major four-year institution, so graduate from Texas A&M, and then join the military is a waste of time and money and of your life that you could have in the future. Mm-hmm. Frame of reference, they grew up in a generation of Vietnam where they go to high school reunions where a lot of their friends are in pictures. 
Sure, right? sure. And they don't necessarily believe like what the government has told them because the government lies, right? Agent Orange, things like this, things that still come out today. Mm, so sure. very distrusting of like the military and what they do and where they came from. So I respect that, you know, there was something and it wasn't even of them. I don't know what it was, but I knew in fourth grade around that time, like, ah, I want to go do this. I know I do, but I don't know how. Never knew how. Never knew the way forward. So first to graduate, first to be a Marine officer, first to be a pilot, right? All the firsts. So I didn't understand any of that stuff. So somebody comes up to ask me like, you know, hey, I want to join. Like, you know, what do you think? I think we're pretty good, especially the Marine Corps recruiting when it comes to the marketing piece. And I told you that, like, you need to tune all that stuff out. Cause that's mm. excess influence or it's just them waves coming at you, man. Go do sure. what I want. This is marketing. I need you to come here, buy this stuff, do this thing. Why do you want to do it? What do you seek to gain? Hmm. And <clears throat> I mean, honestly, there are a lot of things that I sought to gain. And like, a, you know, the going to do the JTAC tour, going to combat. And now you go to combat and you realize that. And now there are things that you can't do. You can't get rid of. You can't unsee some things. You, It's not all roses. You know what I mean? Like, sure, sure. You, you ask and you shall receive. And then you're like, well, you can't undo that stuff. Not mm-hmm. saying it's bad. It's just part of who you are. Do you want to carry that baggage? Do you want to have those the bonds of the brothers that you have while you're over there? It's good and bad, right? So there's a lot to, to that they need to weigh. And they need to talk to... More than just their parents. If they need to go, you know, if they're spiritual, go ask. Go ask your your minister, whatever, you know, if you if you are faith based. Don't hmm. talk to your friends. <laughs> That's the <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> consulting your, your teenage peer group is always a great I'll do solution. It if you do it. Like <laughs> that shit right there, that whole joint entry program stuff, like the peer pressure to go in. Yep. No. Try to have a plan and to know like what you want to do in the military, what you want to do out of the military, because it will end whether you want it to or not. It's always mm-hmm. going to end. Sure. Yeah, have, yeah. have an initial plan. Maybe have a backup plan too, right? I mean, join the military. It's a very noble, most of the time. So, so now it gets into the politics of like, it wasn't just we were there and like, okay, that's another conversation for another day. But like, it's a noble calling to serve, but again, you don't need to join the military to serve. You can serve anybody you want to, wherever mm. you are. Sure. <clears throat> um, but it is an avenue to, to join. And look at world events, too. Like, are you trying to join because you want to go get in a fight? That If you do, that's cool. Hey, some people like to fight. That's good. Mm-hmm. Some, you know, I, I don't know if I'd want to join the military during peacetime because you're going to continue to train. And what I fear is that individual would end up being like me or you train, train, train like, God, I really want to be able to do what I've been trained to do. Sure. And then never have that opportunity to do so. I guess that kind of like realization, the release there, there's no easy answer. Mm. Right. Yeah. But my wife, for example, her entire line from grandfather, dad, uncles, brother, and her all joined, 
all serve or still serving. Sure. So, I mean, she has her own reasons too. And I think a lot of hers, for example, were kind of influenced on her instead of maybe coming from within. She probably had that too, but I sure. think a lot more external influence than I did. I had negative influence. You 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 joined in spite of your influences. She maybe yeah, joined. Can't tell me what to do. Of, I'm yeah. like, do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Damn it, they got me. <laughs> huh. True. <laughs> yeah. So then, what was um what was kind of your path from from not being the the stellar academic that you wished to uh, to being a pilot? Because there is a a lot of <laughs> um. <laughs> You have maybe, to maybe I misphrased that. No, no. <clears throat> like, how did? How do you? My my man, I had to learn how to study, and I mm. learned how to study in flight school. Okay. No joke. And I felt, and honestly, it's probably a lot of pressure because now my ass is on the line, right? Sure. So scholarships and everything else, like college, is essentially like paid for, right? And I just had to go do it. Mm-hmm. Maybe that wasn't the challenge that I needed. I needed something else. And this is all hindsight. But when I got to flight school, it's like, hey, if I don't do this and I fail, I'm going to go do something I don't want to do. Right. And it ain't it ain't up to me anymore. Somebody else is going to tell me what to do. Like, they're going to give me my new job. Hmm. So I better figure this shit out. And... I ended up doing pretty good, but I had to, I had to like, it was, it was skill and will, right? This muscle. I just had to power through it. And I, I did, I did pretty well. Like I ended up getting like academic honors and like stuff that I had never done before, <laughs> you know? And you really figure out like, how is it? I mean, I was honestly attacking a system, right? And the system mm. was the way the military tests its, individuals is trying to challenge to become a pilot okay so it was understanding how they tested and start to think about that i may have not learned anything but i knew how to take a test based on what they were going to do and maybe that was the way and then and then sure. some information just stuck right but i aced every test and i think it's most of them if not all of them all of them at least the early stages i ended up you know getting some little fancy letter saying this is the first time anybody had smoke checked the test. <clears throat> and they, I mean, Sir, I, that's me. <laughs> yeah. I right. think it was, you know, how you write the question out to you. Like, yeah, you knew the process of elimination. This is not going to work. Um, I figured that part out. So sure. That, sure. There were some, like, I guess it was all luck, like two or three of them. They just got close and got it. But like, I had right. to figure out how to study. You know, I had to figure out how to study and then I did well there. And then you really figure out like when you get to the fleet, when you do like the tactical aspect of it, I needed to study more. And then it's kind of rote memorization at a lot of points too, like emergencies and, you know, that wasn't too, too hard there. Um, so that's really what made it different from like where I, what may be perceived as, well, he's not a strong, uh, strong student in these areas and like whoa it was probably just the the challenge right the use mm. stress and de-stress like 
I better, I better, you know, I was challenged here, maybe not so much here. And I think right. that's what made the difference of, of me doing well in one and not in school. So, but I got to drink beer in both of them. And apparently that's what I was really good at in college. Did it well <laughs> in the Marine Corps. <laughs> oh, well, that's just the baseline, isn't it? In the Marine Corps. That's true. <laughs> that's uh, so I, told you, I told you were graded like really on two things. Like your ground job, right? It's what you're really evaluated on in your flying. Yes. It's really three things. It's like you can only have two of the three, too. Um, you know, are you a good stick? Can you fly? Are you good at your ground job? And do you have a good bar act? Right. right. You can only be good at two of the three. <laughs> we'll let the listener determine <laughs> your situation. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, what just this is off the cuff. So yeah, um, you're you're not you're not prepared for this at all. Um, but one, I just thought a question I should probably start asking is what's something that now you wish you knew when you joined, if you, if you were to talk to, like you said, 20 year old dusty or whatever, or 21 or whatever, and say, Mm -hmm. Hey, heads up, do this, or you should know this. That is a good, that's a good one. I think a lot of people you know, ask that question overall in your life type of thing, right? Like you could go Mm. back and talk to young you. Right, right. Very much looking at the military. I honestly do something simple. Like I said, it's going to end whether you want it to or not. It's either going to be your own hand or somebody else's. The board's going to pass on you or you're going to get promoted to a point where that's it. You got to retire after this. You should probably take more pictures, you know? Something simple. No yeah. kidding. And it's a little different now because of the day and age we live in. But like cameras then, like you didn't really take any pictures. But like you're going to look back because that's really the prime of your life, regardless of, of who joins. If you enlist or you go in to be an officer, anytime in there, that is the prime of your life. Right. <clears throat> so take more pictures. Hmm. Keep up with people, right? Because the weird part is in the military – Everybody in the military is pretty much like dudes, dudes with friends. And this is a, over like I'm, I'm, I'm lumping in the ladies too. Mm-hmm. You're, you treat your, your, your friends are like your dude friends. You don't see them for like five years, but it's never, you know, it's like you never left each other. Right, right. Exactly. It's exactly like that. And, and because you move every two to three years, if not more, right? So keep up with keep up with your friends. Uh, take lots more pictures because it's gonna end, and hmm. then eventually you can bullshit about it. You know when you get out. Although there's there's probably um, a value to not having a lot of pictures, and it enables you to expand the story. There is with, yeah, with no yeah. demonstrable proof. <laughs> you there, can't there prove is, me wrong. <laughs> there, there, well, there's there is an active thou shalt not take pictures. That's when you're on libo. Yeah, you're on libo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is a fact. Be selective. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be blackmailed. Huh. Yeah, that's, that's a good it's a good question. I like I like that. I I, th- <laughs> I just thought of it and I saw somebody uh mention that and I thought, hmm, that's probably something that could yeah. could be added. It's it's kind of similar to how you would you you know, how would you advise a kid? It's kind of a similar idea, but yeah. More more introspective, I guess. So that's a good hmm. one. What, um, what is, 
What's a question you expected to be asked that I didn't ask? Oh. <laughs> oh. I mean, it, so or if there is one, you're different because you've already <clears throat> had the conversation many times. Mm. <clears throat> it's not like the typical, and I, honestly, I don't think I've even gotten this one, but I hear it as one of those typical things that people ask other vets, like, well, have you killed anybody? You know, that shit. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Well, I was a cook, so yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know I mean, yeah, like Steven Seagal style, but that, I, mean, I never got that one. I don't think I did. Hmm. But like what things, <clears throat> you know, what, what questions have you, you've been asked the most or, or thought I would be asked? Mm-hmm. Like the normal ones, like where's the, the best, <clears throat> best duty station you've ever had or. Mm. What did you, sure. you know, why did you pick your platform? Why did you pick your airplane? That type of stuff. Mm. So, and those are always, you know, pretty good. And honestly, geez, I mean, it's, there's never a best. It's always different. I guess it's like, which one, sure. of, your kids, which one of your kids is your favorite? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I got my middle favorite. I got the, the young favorite. You know, <laughs> they all bring something unique. Like living in Japan is different and mm. fun. Sure. The Japanese people and Okinawan people, because they're two different, two different type of people. Right. Right. Fun. Hard. Hard to you know be away from family that far. In the time zones. Sure. But the living in another culture, I think that's important for other people. <clears throat> I think mm. that really opens up your eyes. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. If you so here's the deal. If you if you have not had the problem in your life where you're gonna go somewhere and you either remember or you're forgetting you have to figure it out later what kind of power adapter you have to use. That's a good problem to have, right? Right. That helps you to expand your ability to critical think in my mind. Cause now you're not just thinking about power, but the route there, what happens if I get in trouble? What happens if I need to go hospital? What happened? How do I dial this phone number? Like, do you know what the Philippine area code is? Do you know how to dial back to America from Korea? Right. You know what I mean? right. <clears throat> like that world travel and meeting other people and then completely giving into it is something that, that you know, people, if they, if they don't have the means to do it, that's one thing, but they should have the desire to want to do it. Right. Hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> so go to Korea. Go experience the food, the nightlife of like a soul. Go to Australia. Go to anywhere in Europe, Italy, you know, the UK. I mean, UK is eh, sort of same, even Australia. But Australia is a long way away. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. long Yeah, yeah. Do some weird stuff like that. Go see a wallaby. <laughs> but be, you know, be able to, to figure things out on your own. And, and be uncomfortable. Go to Dhaka. Go to, you know, Djibouti. <laughs> that place. That's unique. 
Huh. Be a world traveler, right? Sure, sure. That's, yeah. That's special. Most people won't do. Take advantage of the places you're in. Yeah. And opportunities people, you have. Dude, that's back to complacency. I mean, you probably have a routine that you go through. I do. Right? And get out of that routine. Force yourself to go do something else. It's not saying, like, don't do something, you know, that's not fun. Like, go do fun stuff, but go do stuff that's not there. Go change it up. You work from home? Do you? Uh, no, no, not myself, no. Okay. But, like, <clears throat> if you have the ability, and some people like to work from home, for example, go work somewhere mm-hmm. else. Go oh, yeah, sure. Else. Go to yeah. a damn library or a coffee shop or something. Go change the scenery up. Don't just drone about. And I think what we're going to find difficult as as a world people is like when COVID finally like really lets go and we can go do things. Oh, people aren't going to go to, you know, they're not going to business travel. Like, uh, I mean, I can just call in on that or I can use Google meet or whatever, but like go, go somewhere. Right. Go see something new. That's what I think. Hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. To, to be uh, willing to take those risks or, or even even not necessarily a risk, just like you say, just change up the schedule. Just don't be complacent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's not even that much to ask. It's still America. You're going to go to the coffee <laughs> shop down the street. You're going to walk there, bike there, car there, whatever there. And right. we're talking about power adapters. Bring your power adapter. Go do something. You know, don't forget everything. Just don't, <clears throat> don't just wake up clock it in, put some shorts on and get a log in, you know what I mean? Right. L- live a little. Yeah, man. Live there, a little. I would just hit a restaurant and down at the bottom, you know, they normally have the undercooked meat warning. Yeah. And this one said, uh, the health board wants us to notify you that undercooked meat can, um, can be uh, unhealthy or can be dangerous or whatever. Yeah. But, but we also want to tell you that it can be enjoyable too. live a little. Yeah. You taste it. I was like, that's that. I like that. Dude, I mean, I saw some recipe on like Instagram, beef tartare and how they made it. I'm like, man, that looks really cool. That's pretty mm. cool. Won't that kill you? You know, like <laughs> some shit like that. And <clears throat> they went through an explanation and talked to you. It's all about the handling and where it comes from. And like, it can be very safe. It would be safer than the cilantro that's on your meal. And you huh. think about it. If you don't care for the cilantro or like the garnish, the parsley that's on there. Right. Also uncooked. Right. Just as thick <laughs> yeah. as raw beef tartare that looked amazing and I've never had with this egg on it. Like that's pretty gangster. But yeah. it's a way to look at it. Like, yo, man, you could die in a car wreck tomorrow. But make sure you cook your meat. Right. <laughs> All right. Cool. Sweet. I remember reading a book about uh, Dwight Eisenhower and it was maybe the thirties or something. He took command of a new, um, a new command. Mm-hmm. And as he was touring the facilities, he walked through the kitchen and just grabbed a chunk of raw hamburger and a raw a- uh, onion rather. And was just munching on those as he, con- as he continued on through the tour. <laughs> and the guy's like, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> Man, it's but, invincible. Yeah. Huh? It's true. Yeah. Yeah, that that's I I appreciate that. It's it's not just uh 
there's a lot of value to that for sure. Yeah. I, th- I think kind of, um, people are often unwilling, kind of like you're saying with complacency, often unwilling to open their minds to, to a different viewpoint or to see something from someone else's viewpoint. So shaking it up a little bit, there's a lot of value to that. That's odd. <clears throat> I mean, we, and the conversation I had just prior to that was all about empathy, right? Mm, yeah, and, sure. And social media and everybody is very polarized right now. Their way of the highway, you know, this hmm. is wrong. This is what I believe. This is right. But they don't right. have that ability. And I, you know, I, I, the empathetic ear or the ability to see through somebody else's lens, <clears throat> I think we do miss that. And that's why I think the traveling, getting out, doing normal things again, instead hmm. of sitting behind a screen, not like we are, but we're interacting, you know what I mean? Right. Like it's a fire and forget. I tell you what I think about you in so many four letter words because you said something and like, then, then I just like, oh, I want those tasty notifications and then yes. and likes, like I want to dunk on you so hard. Like, okay. That little dopamine rush. Yeah. Your click on that link validates my existence. Right. Right. It's, Right. Watches over me, baby. So much happiness. Like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. We get away from yeah. that. Um. Well, let's see. Uh, did you have anything that you wanted to promote or or put out there or anything? Or not, nah, man. Just everybody okay. be cool to each other. We don't need a government. We don't need an elected government. Let's just be cool to each other, right? <laughs> I I don't. I mean, I got my own thing going on. Sure. I honestly, <clears throat> if, if I got to promote anything, go do something nice, go help somebody. Sure. Go help a collective of people like your neighborhood, you know, don't just be empathetic to an individual that asks for help, but like go out and do some cool shit for a bunch of people. I don't know. That's all I'm promoting. L I V I N man. Just living. I like yeah. it. I like it. Yeah. Thanks for, Thanks for the time. I appreciate it. No problem, man. It's... I'm glad. Hope, hopefully somebody, you know, hears it and like, oh, man, that is insightful. Nothing I say is insightful ever. <laughs> I ain't been, I mean, there are other people that have said it in a way more eloquent way than I have. So right. I mean, it's just a kick in the pants. Go get it done. Just don't be a dick. Be cool. Go help people. There you go. Yeah, well, even, yeah, you can hear something a hundred times and then you hear it an, an additional time just in a different way or something. Well, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. So, yeah, yeah. I, <clears throat> I appreciate your time, man. That's good questions. And now, I mean, I haven't had time yet. And honestly, so I have zero podcasts that I've listened to. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm adding it to the list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, no, I, it was, I was just more curious cause it kind of gives you a, a flavor of yeah, how it yeah. rolls or whatever. So well, I mean, I want to hear it too. I want to hear what the other, other guys have to say. Yeah. I mean, hell my wife even gave me, she's like, Oh, I finished this book. Uh, I think you're going to really like it. I'm like add to the list. <laughs> yeah. I, I understand for sure. I'm uh, just today. I was telling someone, Oh yeah, I'm on my way to back home so I can record an episode. And they're like, Oh yeah, my, I, uh, a friend of mine has a podcast about local stuff. And I was like, I have zero 
time, but I am also interested because somebody put their time into it. So I was like, oh, what is it about and all that stuff? Um, but I, I don't have time to listen to it. Oh, here you go. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I got one. And hopefully, you know, this will get out eventually. Promote, promote something. I will tell you there is one difficult thing, and and this goes along the lines of helping people. The transition from military service sucks. Thank thank you. I even made a note to ask that. So I apologize for not getting it. Yes, please. Well, I I want – I'm not saying you need to go out like, hey, offer offer the service member a job. No, no. Mm -hmm. Be aware of it. And you – so you know what? You know, everybody has something different to offer, right? Mm-hmm. You you have done 100% more podcasts than I've done, for example. You know what sure. I mean? Sure, You right, have right. experience that I don't have. I would have experience that you don't have. Share that. Help anybody else. And specifically the veterans leaving because <clears throat> maybe my parents were right a little bit that the government doesn't do a great job. Shocker. Of programs that they mean well like congress enacts some law to help somebody and then it just turns into complete shit this is one of those programs so the transition program that everybody goes through is awful uh, but there may be people that hear this that know there are individuals out there that are able to help use linkedin linkedin is the bible Sure. LinkedIn offers that free year of premium service for a service member that's leaving. Oh, Use, yeah, that's huh. solid. Okay. So you can like Google it, like you know, veteran face or veteran LinkedIn premium membership, whatever. You know, just Google, mm-hmm. it, find it, yeah. <clears throat> sign up, and you're good to go. That's important to start networking there. You're gonna get a job. You're gonna get a career because of the people you know not because of your efforts in your resume, your ability to write the perfect answer in an online uh, job posting. Mm-hmm. None of that. It's the people. It's the people you interact with that will get you where you want to go. So use LinkedIn like the Bible. Network. There are other programs out there. I think one's like uh, ADP or ACP, uh, American Corporate Partnership, whatever. There's a there's a ton, ton mm-hmm. of people. Sure. So <clears throat> don't overdo it. Don't overwhelm yourself. But use LinkedIn, network, and then pay it forward when you get get there. Right? You know, help help another vet out. Help anybody out. Honestly, vets mm-hmm. need it a little more because we're not necessarily prepared for it. Um. <clears throat> Oh, what else? There's one more thing. So networking that, oh, the self-research. We have a problem with, we leave the service, Marines especially, because we identify as that service. We are sure. a yep. Marine. What yep. are you? I'm a Marine. Well, who'd you serve with? The Marine Corps. You're a Marine, right? So that is your right. identity. Taking and saying I'm done or having it, done for you. Like I said, it's going to stop one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Part of your identity goes away or you think it does. It doesn't, but you think it does. Right. So you are still a Marine when you get out, you're still a vet when you get out, you still talk shit to each other when you get out and, but you know, bust balls, it's fun. The veteran community, that sense of brotherhood, sisterhood is still there. 
when you get out, don't worry about it. Like that, don't worry about losing that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But do some good research on yourself on what you want to do. That's the hardest part. And we put sure. that last. We want to go, I want to be identified with something, right? I don't want <clears throat> to go in and do this work where I got to figure out what I really want to do. I want to be identified as something else, you know. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a police officer. I'm afraid mm-hmm. that's the only thing I could do because I was good at it, right? I need the regimen. I need the discipline. I need the 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 whole type of uh, uh, whatever I'm, the word I'm looking for. It's it's you know the mindset you're saying, yeah. kind of, or like the, just that, that regimen. Everything is stru- structure, structure. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, so that's what I meant. Structure. Like I need this. <clears throat> some people do, some people don't. But go look at yourself and figure that out, right? Hmm. Um, <clears throat> if and if you take a job, which most vets do, that they absolutely hate, don't sure. keep doing it. Quit. Do it. Go make yourself happy. I hadn't thought of that. Do you think it's partly because in the service you're stuck with what you're stuck with and, and changing? No, we're stuck. No, I mean, in terms of like mentally they're, they're used to being in the service and (laughs) it's very difficult to change roles. So then they get a job they don't like. And they're like, mentally they're thinking, well, I can't do anything about it. And you're saying overcome that. Yeah. 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 Okay. So along along those lines, like I, I, I want to go do this. I get there and it sucks. And it's like, well, it sucked when I got in, right? Right, you know, right. Like, I'm yeah. not going to quit. We don't do that. We don't quit. That ain't how this works. Stop it. Right. Uh-huh. You mm-hmm. are in a relationship with your employer or self-employed, right? And then that's its own set of things. But it is a two-way street. You need to communicate things that you expect. The employer communicates things that they expect. Right. Mm, it is yeah. a relationship. You can beat feet, get out of there if you don't like it. <clears throat> so I see a lot of it where uh, these individuals get out and they take a job they don't like, the graveyard shift. Some like shift work, and that's great. Some mm-hmm. are good at that. Manufacturing, that's great. Dude, I, I wish I could be a welder. This is going to be baller. That's some gangster stuff, like building with your hands and things like that. Like, that's cool. But some, they end up getting into that role and they just hate it and they just keep doing it. And Hmm. then they get old and they get stuck in middle management and they go to the VFW and drink like Boilermakers every, you know, Friday night. And that's life until they get like a gold watch after spending 25 years there or something. Hmm. Oh man, go look inside what you who you are, what you want to do, where you want to be, and don't accept anything less, you know? Yeah, That's, find find definition outside of the uniform. It's over. Yeah. Don't identify with that anymore. Like, that will not define you. Uh, it was a prime of your life. You should have taken more pictures, but you're on to bigger and better things. That's hmm. no joke. There's so much more that veterans are capable of on the outside, <clears throat> they can still lead and do gangster, gangster stuff. Just great things and, and change people's lives, change their own lives. And 
be very, very, very successful and be successful like lucratively and they have a lot more control. So now I don't need to like put in leave requests and all this other stuff. Like you can go do whatever you want and you've hmm. got some, you've got a lot more money than what you did in the military. Go buy a boat. Who gives a shit? Whatever you want to do, go on vacations, be that world traveler we talked about. But like, dude, you're, hmm. they're going to have a good time, man. They better. Hmm. I'm going to find them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, that's good. It's, I like the, the positive approach to it. It's easy to, to, uh, maybe take a bad experience in the military or something and just be like, Oh, ho hum, you know, it was tough, but you're turning around and, and, and looking at the golden, the, the, uh, Oh boy. The it's, other side of the cloud, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's the silver lining, right? Silver lining. Thank you. Wow. The contractual obligation versus you're a grown ass human being, right? Right. Right. You, you no longer need to ask permission to go on vacation. Yeah, right. I mean, you may, right. you may for a while. <laughs> Who knows? Like, you know what I mean. I know, what you, I know yeah. what you mean. And yeah, it's just a different. It's a different world. And I'm not saying the grass is always greener, type of thing. But holy shit, this grass is real green. Whoa, yeah, <laughs> you should totally do this. But I respect the people that go in and serve. I did it. I I knew it was time for me to go, and and you should recognize that place, right? You know, it's like. I sure. I've, done what I, I've done what I wanted to do. I'm out. Yeah. Know that point. Know that point. Then both feet, baby, jump straight ahead. Get on out. Don't. Uh, I can't say that. I can't say don't. Like do more government work because it. I'm not gonna yeah. lie. So it is aggravating. The the stuff I do. Like again, I still enjoy the mission. I still enjoy supporting those people. But. Your bureaucracy and everything else that you do is only making your life harder. But you've got the blinders on when you're still in the service, not you know, in sure. the service, not. But hmm. there's so many more people you can help on the outside. Well, that's all I'll say about that. Be happy with what you do. Make sure you're happy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just focus on that. That's my parting shot. Go help somebody and be happy in what you do. If you're not doing either one, you're wrong. You should fix yourself. Yep. Uh, hmm. <clears throat> I can't come up with something. I was going to try to do a play off of uh, check yourself before you wreck yourself, but That's fix like yourself before day. you, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not that quick. <laughs> Dude, it doesn't matter, man. It's, yeah. it's good. And hopefully, hopefully somebody hears that. And even one person, I try to, I try to mentor enough, enough people to get out that I think they've made some right moves. And I, I feel good. I have nothing to gain from any of that stuff. But when I hear like, yo, I'm doing real well. And I'm waiting for some of the, the young ones that I was mentoring when they're, they're still in now, right? They're not done with their ride yet, which is, is fine. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see where they're going to be when they get out and then add two to five more years because I think they're going to love it. They're going to love being done. And they're going to love sure. whatever they're doing or they're going to fix it and then find something they do love. And hmm. it, it's good. It's good stuff, man. Nothing but the best for everybody here. And all the vets that, you know, hear this. Dude, I said LinkedIn. Hit me up. Or 
My yeah. dumbass on Twitter. It's definitely not professional. There's no professional advice on Twitter for me at all. <laughs> or, or anyone, let's be honest. <laughs> or anybody. I don't get paid for that. It's all free. <laughs> My right. musings, if you will. But, dude, everybody use LinkedIn. Hit me up if you need help. We can point you in the right spot. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing I've, I've real. uh I've noticed and appreciated is among vets, the, the, um, maybe the increased willingness to just help out. Yeah. I think be, partly because of, you know, your, because of your military experience, um, you don't, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a vet and it doesn't even have to be somebody, um, you just, you see somebody in need and you're uh, generally speaking, percentage wise, a vet is more likely to, reach out and help than than a non-vet so yeah yeah hmm. yeah that's all that's impressed me and and uh been a lesson to me also multiple times <laughs> that's good man it's a good observation i hope it, i mean i hope more people help help out but i think i think you're right like our job at one point was to help sometimes forced to help. sure well and often your motivation often yeah. vets uh, they wanted to join sure maybe for cool stuff or to blow stuff up but yeah a lot of a high percentage is um like you're saying see they see it as service or as an a, ability to help others and and then the time often just um really drives that into you i think yeah so good hmm. good questions yeah. though thanks i appreciate it yeah that was I, I don't take it lightly. <laughs> I, I know people are, are busy and uh, got all kinds of stuff going on. And I think to just jump on some random show you've never heard of. And Dude, it's fine though. Cause I think that it's all about helping, like helping you grow, grow this. Cause when yeah. you grow this, it helps other people. So it's, it's symbiotic and it's helpful. So I don't mind it. Hell nope. go. We do these talks all the time. Like we'll fly to places and, run our mouths about this stuff. So it's important, you know, that I honestly, I think that it's kind of, maybe I haven't reflected on it enough. I don't know why people want to hear half the shit I want to say, or if it's going to open up some damn door for somebody in somebody's mind or heart, right. To go do right. the thing. But Hey, if <laughs> cool. <laughs> if it does. Awesome. Right. Glad service <laughs> right yeah <laughs> i don't i mean i don't write no damn books this guy does i mean his stuff is you know simon Sinek. he's done some great stuff but i'm not i'm not <laughs> as insightful as he is or anybody else but i think the message is still the same you know <laughs> i have to read this oh he made some analogies in here that i uh, yeah, you have to look this up. Read the back of it. It's uh, the infinite game. Yeah. Yeah, I I'm a big fan of analogies. It's a, it's a great way to illustrate things. I think. Dude, this can't. Oh, hold on. Uh. So essentially, I said the same stuff, and this is the first time I read it. Oh. <laughs> That's cool. He awesome. used football or chess. He used football or soccer. And I don't oh. remember the first analogy I saw about war being more 
strategic. It, it's more like soccer than it is football. I think it was like a long. I don't know if it was. Hmm. Oh, I would say it's more it? like rugby than football, but whatever. <laughs> but I can't remember if it was like Petraeus or somebody. Oh, okay. Whoever said it a long time ago, I think I read it in like a Houston Chronicle article like a long time ago. I don't even know if I was in the Marine Corps then. Hmm. It was like, I think my mom showed it to me. That's, like, that's a good point because football is more, it's more structured plays and a lot more timeouts like you're saying. So I think it was more along the lines of Vietnam, right? And insurgency mm. type of thing. And it's start, stop. Start, stop. You're playing to an end state. And then sure. it's over or something else. Where soccer is fluid and always changing. And you don't know that somebody has an advantage until it's already too late and they're already down the field or something, you know? Is sure. It, I might have to look it up. But it was a, it was a pretty good analogy. I just remember. But yeah, he's... He said something football and chess. I think is the same same sort of analogy. Hmm. <clears throat> Neat. Hmm. It is always. Well, what I, do you got going on the rest of the week? I I think I have one other person lined up. Hopefully, so I I usually try to kind of stack my my interviews together, cool. schedule it around work. It's a little easier that way. So when do you usually kind of cut it and then throw it out into the wild? Um, I release on Tuesdays. Oh, cool. <coughs> okay. Excuse me. So um, hopefully, hopefully I'll get this one out tomorrow morning. Cool. And yeah, man. As soon as I see I it. Don't have, I don't have any in the in the uh, queue. So <laughs> I've been a little tight recently. Work's been long and um, uh, the show's been a little less of a priority for me. So unfortunately. What other messages do you want to, I guess, target? Or audience or individual contributors. Oh, as far as guests? Yeah. Or or, or whatever. Open any question. Um, yeah, I guess really anybody. Um as far as audience, my my real target audience is me as a as an eighteen year old. I or you know, people like me, right? Because yeah. at that time I was um obviously love military and all the, all the nerdy books and everything, like I was saying, and all the numbers. Um, but it, and, and I think it's, a, it's kind of a common attitude, not just myself, but kind of in a lot of civilians, it, it leads to treating vets as a group as opposed to individuals. And so my goal for the listener is that they hear from vets as individuals, not, not a, yeah. not seen a movie or something, but like, this is a vet and this is their story. And it's completely different from anybody else's, but it mm -hmm. has some similarities too. So that's good. And then for the, for the guest, I just want to give them a platform to, to tell their story. Mm -hmm. So, so some of the ones I have are more well-known and already have a following. Um, but my real goal is just um, a vet who nobody knows. You know, and they just they can tell their story. Um, like they've never never had an opportunity to. And, and you know, <clears throat> one of the reasons that I, I wanted to join the Blues, I hmm. I did the I did the JTAC tour first, so deployed two thousand nine two thousand ten. Okay. Fox Company, same time second Marines, right? I then went back to the wing, flying, you know, doing some cool stuff, 
and now I deployed again in 2011 and, and came back in 2012. And then I got to the blues and somebody asked me like, well, why, why do you want to do this? That's a great question because at the same time, my, my CO <clears throat> was essentially training me in the event I didn't get selected. We're going to send you to WTI, which is, I mean, if you want to over characterize or just like simplify the, the comparison, it's like Navy Top Gun, Marine Corps WTI, mm. right? Okay. Oversimplified. It's, it's our weapon and tactics training squadron. Like it's the mecca of how Marine aviation integrates into everything, right? This okay. Is where, this is where doctrine is, is written and the tactics are written. <clears throat> it's Yuma, Arizona. So he's like, hey, we're going to work you up. We're going to send you a WTI to, to get the qual. Like that is the pinnacle of all the quals you can get is to be a WTI, a weapons okay. instructor. So, <clears throat> you know, why do you want to, why do you want to apply? And he even asked me that too. And do you have a Marine? Well, let me back up. Why does the Marine Corps exist? Like, who is the main effort in the Marine Corps? It's the Marine Rifle Squad. Mm-hmm. Sure. Eight, eight, 12, however many individual young young men, maybe women too, you know, as soon as they integrate. And it's the infantry, the individuals running on the ground, executing, you know, the nation's will, right? And so... Everything the Marine Corps does starts with them and then builds outward. Mm-hmm. Logistics, artillery, close air support, everything, right? The Navy giving them boats to go somewhere, to get off the boat, to go in, right? To invade. Yeah, yeah. Defend, whatever. Rifle squad. How many Marine rifle squad demonstration teams do we have? Right? Right. Zero. <laughs> They're the most important part of everything we do. And yet they don't have a platform. Hmm. Just like you asked, like, I want to be able to give a platform. So somebody asked, like, oh, why, do sure. why do you, why do you want to apply to the blues? Why do you want to be a blue angel? Cause you're going to go do WTI and all this other stuff. It's because they don't have a platform. Sure. But the stories I would go forth and talk about, primarily were about the JTAC tour when I was with the Marines and the stuff that they were doing. Right. Where you, you would have sergeants and corporals like making decisions that I wouldn't trust like a 45 year old, you know, <clears throat> somebody with a shit ton of experience. Right. They're, they're doing things that are awe inspiring and, it's it's unseen. It's on you know they're thankless. So it's it's very odd. But they come back, they transition out into society, and they typically go do good things. They succeed. They lead. They integrate back in and do awesome stuff. But the prime of their life and what they're doing now, maybe they get some awards at a ceremony you know where we all stand there but it's just us like the mm. nation doesn't get to see what they do and now this is over general this is just saying marines but i mean soldiers too 
airmen too. I mean, everybody, sailors. Right. There are a lot of you know, there are a lot of thankless jobs out there. But that was the one thing that I could do while I was selected, fortunate enough to be on a team like that, is to go tell the story of some of these just blatant idiots and the crazy shit they were doing. But God, they were so good at it. Thank you for listening to this episode of How I Embraced the South. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend. And as my Girl Scout den mother used to say, stay frosty. visceral visceral experiences of being in your first gunfight that these guys just took off running into it and, and my my exact response is well I can't let this son of a bitch go by himself so I ended up running behind him and I didn't realize that I'd run past him because he had taken cover <laughs> it's like holy shit welcome to the new guy right <laughs>